Hello, everyone, and welcome to Topics in Faith, part of the In Faith series of podcasts. I'm your host, Daniel Didek, and this week, we're looking at the plans God has, who they're for, and what their goal is. For those who maybe already know the answers, this is also a glimpse into ways to study our Bibles so that when a half-truth or untruth crops up, we can better find the answers in Scripture. All in all, a fun ride coming up, so let's get on the road. Today's topic comes in response to a quote I'd seen from the Babylon Bee, which if you're unfamiliar is kind of the Christian onion. It's a usually satirical news source. But in this quote, they had paraphrased Jeremiah 29, verse 11, and said, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for you to take this verse out of context and apply it to yourself rather than ancient Israel. And we've probably talked about this before, but this isn't necessarily a strange take. Oftentimes, we write off the Old Testament as intended for Israel and inapplicable to Christians, and we're supposed to only read the New Testament as kind of the basis behind the, the Old Testament and faith series that we did last season. But when we come across something like this, it's always interesting to kind of ask when someone when someone presents this type of paraphrase and when they, they say like, oh, the Bible doesn't say this. I wonder, do you think or do they think that like God doesn't have plans for us? Or if he does have plans, are those plans to beggar us or harm us? Are they to not give us a hope in the future? You know, what is it we're what is it we're speaking out against when we take this route of saying, oh, that's an Old Testament verse, you can't apply that to today, when it's that kind of a verse. So what we're gonna do is break this verse down into its several components and see if we can find those promises reiterated for us in the New Testament. So to remember, the actual verse says For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. So let's take each of these phrases and see if we can find them in the New Testament. First, the phrase, I know the plans I have for you. Does God know the plans? Does he have a plan? And does he know them? Again, it would seem obvious, but let's let's dive in. Romans 8 verses 28a, that's not Canadian, that's it's the first part of the verse, says... And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God. So there's the, the indication in that verse that he kind of knows knows what's going to happen and already has a plan to cause it all to work together for our good. But you might say that's a little bit of a stretch because it doesn't really say that. It just says that God is able to cause all these things. So let's continue. James 4.15 says, instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. Now, this is a, a part of a whole passage where he says, you know, we say, oh, we're going to go here and for one year we're going to do this. And he's like, why do you do that? You don't even know what tomorrow is going to bring. So instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. And the question would be, why? Why is it presumptuous if God doesn't have a plan or if there's a plan, he doesn't know it, then why would it matter if for, if we said, if we tried to plan out our steps? The only reason we don't do that is because there's already a plan in place and God already knows it. We may not, but God does. 1 Corinthians 12, 18. But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as he desired. He desired the parts to be placed in the body, each one, because he has a plan and he knows what the plan is. Revelation 17, 17. 
For God has put it in their hearts to execute his purpose by having a common purpose and by giving their kingdom to the beast until the words of God will be fulfilled. Now, this is not for Christians. These are for non-believers. So he also knows the plans he has for those who have rejected him. <laughs> so if he knows the plans he has for people who don't obey him, how would he not that much more know the plans he has for those who do? Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So even before we came along, before you were born, God had a plan for you, and he knew what it was. And if you're willing to accept Old Testament scripture, Isaiah 46.10 lays it out very plainly. God declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things which have not been done, saying, My purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Next phrase from the Jeremiah verse is plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Again, we have to be careful with how we define these two terms. Okay, we talked about it last episode, so we're not going to go real deep into it again. We are going to look at a bunch of verses about it. But prospering can be a dangerous word if you only are thinking of material prosperity. Money, houses, cars, whatever. And if harm for you is any type of self-denial, of not being able to serve your own pleasures, and not just doing what feels good, if that to you means harm, then prepare to be harmed, and badly. Because I believe God wants us to destroy our flesh. He intends to... In the last days, we will be given a new body. And for now, he wants us to crucify it. What do we see in terms of plans to prosper you and not to harm you? Mark chapter 10, verses 29 through 31. Truly, I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. And it's interesting that he specifies you will receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Now, along with persecutions, that doesn't mean we'll get to this too. It's not all sunshine and rainbows. It's not all happy times because there will be persecutions as well because we're still in the earth, even though we're not of the earth. And then in the age to come, if you have left all these things for his sake in the gospel, you will also receive eternal life. Philippians chapter 1, verses 4 through 6 says, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That is a promise of prospering in our faith and of not being harmed. Our bodies, again, our bodies might be harmed. Don't look forward to that. But our soul is in good care. John 10 verses 10 in the NASB and the New American Standard Bible 2020 version says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came so that they would have life and have it abundantly. Now that last phrase could also be translated or have abundance, that they would have life and have abundance. Matthew chapter 12 verse 20, A bruised reed he will not break. And a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through to victory. Again, a plan to prosper you and not to harm you. Because harm would be him breaking a bruised reed or snuffing out a smoldering wick. That is not his plan at all. John 8 verses 10 through 11, Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? 
No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. By leaving our life of sin, we are harming our flesh, because our flesh desire is for sinful things. But there is no condemnation, and that is something to prosper our souls and to keep us from harm. 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 through 19, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Again, shifting our minds from the earthbound, from homes, from money, from cars, from whatever it is, a large 401k. The life that is truly life is life in heaven. But he does provide us, he richly provides us, it says in verse 17, with everything for our enjoyment. So if you have a lot of money, if you happen to have a good job that pays well, enjoy it. Don't put your hope in it because it's so uncertain. I found this out in November of 2019 when I was laid off from my what I considered a very high paying job. It was the highest paying job I had ever had, anyone in my family had ever had, and we were doing pretty well with it. We were able to save a lot of money each month as well as having money going into retirement and into good health care and all these sorts of things. But in one day, in the span of about an hour-ish, that wealth showed how uncertain it was and it went away. And here, sort of the most clear verse Second Thessalonians 3 verse 3 says, But the Lord is faithful, and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. Sounds like a plan not to harm you. Is it all gumdrops and rainbows? No. Here's a whole slew of verses for you, just to make sure we understand. Acts 5 verse 41, The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. They were... I believe beaten with rods because they were trying to preach Jesus and his death and resurrection and were physically beaten for it and they rejoiced because they were counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Romans chapter 5 verse 3, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Colossians 1 verse 24, now I rejoice in what I am suffering for you and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. So Paul here, in order to be able to preach to the Colossians, rejoiced in his suffering and filled up in his flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, Christ's body that is, which is the church. 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 6, You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. Joy even in suffering. 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 5, All this is evidence that God's judgment is right, and as a result you'll be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. 2 Timothy 1 verse 8 and verse 12, So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Verse 12, That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Which is also a fantastic hymn, by the way. Second Timothy 2 verse 3, Join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. James 1 verse 2, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. 
1 Peter 1, verse 6, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. And then 2 Peter 2, verse 9, If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. He knows how to rescue those who are godly from these trials. You still have to go through them, but he will rescue you from them. Which brings us to our final point, plans to give you a hope and a future. Because in that verse, we saw our hope and future a little bit. Let's look into that a little further. Do we have a hope and a future because of God's plan for us? 1 Corinthians 15 verse 19, If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. So we should have hope in this current life, but it also extends beyond this life and into the future, so we have a hope and a future. Romans 8 verse 23 through 25, Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So we have hope now for a future. Romans 8 verse 32, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? And in that we should have hope. Romans 8, verses 29 and 30. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. In that we have hope and a future. John 17, verse 24. Jesus is praying. He says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. In that, we have hope and we have a future. So there you have it. There are 17 verses, and there's many I probably missed, all from the New Testament backing up Jeremiah. So I think we can, with confidence, say God knows the plans he has for us, plans to prosper us and not to harm us, plans to give us hope and a future. Next week, join me. We're asking the question, is salvation easy? Think about it. <laughs> and tune in next week to find out my answer, the answer I believe scripture gives. Until then, keep the faith and keep it fresh. Keep it fresh.